Morning, everyone. Um, so today, one of the things I want to kind of talk about is the uh, the path to peace. I think a lot of us kind of struggle with that the 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 how to get peace in our lives, how to experience kind of that 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 sense of the soul that where we're not as disturbed or agitated, and we're not really bothered by a lot of things that are going wrong and a lot of things that just kind of aren't aren't really flying our way, things that kind of just aren't breaking breaking the way we're, lo- we're looking at things and things that really aren't, aren't kind of working out. And I would argue that Jesus generally preaches the antidote on how to have peace. But what Jesus is talking about specifically in today's gospel is how to more specifically have peace with our neighbors, have peace with, with that person who we work with, that person who we live next to, that person who might even be within our very own house. Those people who on some days might bring us joy, other days might grind our gears. And so what, what Jesus does, he kind of gives us three ways in which you and I can pursue a path of peace, even if we're living with our absolute mortal enemy. The first thing he shows us in the first example that he gives us is he reminds us of this, this very Old Testament Levitical law. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, some people will take this passage and say an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth and kind of use it as an excuse for vengeance. But where the reality is, that Old Testament passage, which says an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, in that Old Testament passage, you have specifically the Lord speaking through Moses, restricting the Israelites. The tendency was, all right, if you're going to take my eye, I'll take your life. If you want to take my tooth, I'll kill your whole family. That kind of attitude, this kind of like, this kind of over, almost over aggression, what that was, that Old Testament law was to temper it and say, okay, you can take an eye, you can't kill the person. You can't just, you know, take the whole family. So that, that was what it was. Well, Jesus came not to, to simply, to simply in, reinforce the law, but to fulfill the law to take that law and take it to a whole nother level. And what does he do to do that? He says, you've heard it say an eye for an eye, you've heard a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, because I'm the new law, I make the rules around here, I say to you, offer no resistance to evil. Offer no resistance to evil. A very strange passage, especially preaching to people who make a living off of resisting evil. A very odd passage, based very much indeed. But what he's talking about most specifically is offer no resistance to evil on a personal level. On people within your interpersonal relationships. We're not talking about China here. We're not talking about Russia. We're not talking about these big global entities we're talking about our neighbor. We're talking about our coworkers. We're talking about our family. We're talking about our friends. We're talking about even our enemies, specifically our personal enemies. And what Jesus says, and the tactic that Jesus gives us, is whenever somebody has a vendetta against you, whenever somebody has, has, this, has this, this, this desire for vengeance against you, what does he say? Offer no resistance. If somebody slaps you on your right cheek, give them the left. 
If someone makes you walk one mile, walk two. If someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic too. Why? Because at some point, evil will tire out. At some point, our enemies will run out of cheeks to slap, will run out of tunics to take, will run out of miles to walk. Evil is not good. Evil is not from God. Evil is a privation of a good, which means it is limited. It is limited, and it needs fuel for the fire. God does not need fuel. God is, is sufficient in of itself. He's got the fuel. It's all right there. Evil's a whole nother matter. And believe me, if you can offer no resistance to evil, it tires out very quickly. Years ago, right before I entered seminary, I, I learned this lesson. I worked at a summer camp. And it was an all-boys summer camp. It was, this, was, this was the summer before I entered seminary. And one of the things, you know, all boys, very, very typical, you would imagine. One of the things we used to like to do was throw people in the lake. If it was your birthday, we'd throw you in the lake. If you did something wrong, we'd throw you in the lake. If we were just bored, we'd throw you in the lake. We'd throw a lot of people in the lake. And one of the things that I learned about being thrown in the lake is the best way to, get, to not get thrown into the lake is to allow yourself to get thrown in the lake. It seems a little bit contradictory. But what we learned was that if somebody said, in the lake, and pointed to somebody, meaning they were going in the lake, what happened was all the campers would rise up, they'd charge after the person, and the person generally would either do one or two things, run or fight back. Fortunately, neither of them ever worked out. We always pursued them, and we always, we always won that fight. Because, you know, 50 against one, doesn't matter how big you are, we'll take you. All right? run or fight back. And what ended up happening, it was always a lot of fun, we always had a blast, and we'd always end up throwing somebody or a bunch of people usually in the lake. But what would totally kill the lake adventure, what would totally kill that brutal process of throwing people in the lake, was to say, all right, here you go. What ended up happening? It was just no fun. It was like, all right, whatever, this is, like, we would just quit. And that's evil. All right, evil thrives off of the resentment that it breeds. Evil thrives off of the drama that it creates. Evil thrives off of all of its aftermaths, off all of its problems. It loves it. It loves the fact that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction until there is no reaction any longer. Then evil gets bored and walks away. That's the tactic that Jesus introduces to us. Instead of fighting back, instead of singing vengeance, instead of growing our ulcers deep down in our stomachs, trying to figure out how we're going to get our, our revenge, how we're, going to, how we're going to take our egos back, how we're going to ultimately set the record straight, what he ultimately says, let it go. It ain't worth it. Let it go. You ain't going to accomplish anything. You're never going to get it back. You're never going to get back your reputation, your ego, your time, your energy, your money. You're not going to get it back. Drop it. And the sooner you can drop it, the sooner you can let it go, the sooner you and I can have some peace. The second thing he says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your heavenly Father, for He makes the sun rise on the good and the bad. 
This is a very, very common statement. This is a very common feeling. It's easy for us to love the people that love us back. It's easy for us to love the people that kind of give us that joy, that kind of give us that life. It's, it's easy to look at the people who care about us and care about them. It's hard, though, to look at the people who don't care about us and still care about them. It's hard to look at the people who disappoint us time and time and time again and still learn to love them. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what it says, but what he says ultimately is this. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your heavenly Father. Who was the child, the ultimate Son of God, Jesus Christ? Who was persecuted most unjustly, most wrongly, most egregiously, and everybody here in this room? Jesus Christ. He was the Son of God. To be children of God fundamentally means to be persecuted. That's just how it is. And that's how, that, that is exactly what God puts these people in our lives for. God gives us our persecutors. He gives us our enemies. He gives us these people that make our lives difficult to purify us, to help us grow deeper and deeper in love with Him and more and more like His Son. This is something that I think we struggle with a lot. We often look at the people that drive us crazy. We often look at our enemies. We often look at the people that, that ultimately disappoint. And we tend to get very, very angry. We tend to start seething inside. We tend to start, start going a little bit crazy. But it never really dawns on us, or it often fails to dawn on us, that maybe, just maybe, God has placed them in our life to help us grow. God has placed our enemies in our life to help us grow. There's a reason why they're there. And that's why Jesus says to pray for your enemies. Pray for those people. Why? Because God has given them to you and to me to help us grow in love. And so what does he finally say? What is the final last path to peace? And this is what he said. Something that's very, very easy. Something very, very simple. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What the heck, Lord? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is a bit of a tall order, don't you think? What Jesus is saying is he is echoing the continual theme of love that he has constantly stated throughout this gospel passage. He is echoing the fact that ultimately that this is about love. And to be perfect, to ultimately to be perfect like God means... To love like God. To love in the same way that God loves. In the same way that God has mercy on you. In the same way God has mercy on me. Because what does God do? God sends His grace upon the good and the bad. He lets the sun shine on the good and the bad. He gives everything to both the good and the bad. That's why people, that's why that's the answer to that old question. Why why good things happen to bad people, why bad things happen to good people, because God loves all equally. And that's our call. We are called to love like God. We are called to love like the Father, which means you and I are not here to scratch each other's backs, to do deals with people who do deals for us. We are called to love those who don't return the love. We're called to love those who don't return the peace. We're called to love those who constantly disappoint and hurt us time and time 
and time. Again, in the same way you and I. Ultimately, God loves us, but what do we often do? We very often hurt and disappoint God time and time again through our own sin. Yet God never fails to love you and I. But here's the question, the question I think you might all be asking. All right, Father, this sounds real nice, but how do I really do this? It's hard to be out there and slog it out in the Navy. It's hard to be on a ship and, you know, deal with all these rough personalities. It's hard to ultimately have to work with the, 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 the dynamics of characters that I have to work with. Or, or, or my favorite, Father, have you met my family? All right. These are things that very often are a problem. All right. How do we do this? My friends, the answer, if you and I are called to love like God, we have to first be loved by God. We have to first receive the love that God is giving us. And there's only one way to do it, and that's through prayer. If you ain't praying, you probably ain't loving like God. It's going to be a real hard path to truly echo, to truly, to truly live in peace, to truly live in love if you're not in the love of the Father, if you're not in the love of God. And that's the message of this whole gospel passage. My dear friends, you and I are called to love But love is a flame that requires fuel. And the fuel, the fuel for peace, is through prayer. 